Welcome everybody to episode number 18 of the Average Jake Firefighter podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Owens, from the Average Jake Firefighter blog. Before we get started with today's uh, topic on winter fire operations, I just want to give a huge shout out to Jeff Dykes from Northern Star Fire. Uh, Jeff, actually, uh, I talked to him after the podcast and he sent me one of the compasses for me to try out and he also sent one of the compasses as a giveaway for the Fireground Commander Conference. That is a tremendous, tremendous, uh, you know, just dedication to his product. He believes in his product, and I, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward <clears throat> to getting my hands on this thing and putting it in my mask and seeing what it can do for my orientation on the fire ground. I think it's something that's important. Just before I started recording this podcast today, he sent me an article about the May Day in Buffalo where a firefighter got disoriented, and he was talking to, about how just for a hundred dollars that this guy could have had a compass in his mask. So, and again, I, I'm going to I'm gonna save, you know, my, my words and my uh, thoughts and opinions for after I put the thing to use. But what I can say is that if there's some sort of technology out there that's going to make us better on the fire ground and get us to victims faster, get us to the fire location faster, and make us a little bit safer, I think it's worth giving a shot. So I thank Jeff big time for his dedication I thank Jeff big time for letting me, uh, one, have one to give away for the Fireground Commander Conference, and two, giving me one to try out and see if I like it and to see what can go on with it. So thanks a lot, Jeff. I really appreciate your dedication to the fire service. Also, you may be able to tell or maybe you can't be able to tell, I'm using a little bit different setup. I'm experimenting with some external mics, so the audio may sound a little bit different on the podcast. I'm still, I've got two different ones. I've got one that plugs directly into uh, the lightning port that sounds really, really bad right now. I'm still working on the settings for that. And I've got one that just goes directly into like a headphone jack for my iPad, so I'm giving that a shot. Um, I want to be able to do some in-person interviews, specifically when I go to Pensacola for the uh, CFT ODP uh, in a couple days, I want to be able to do some in-person interviews there and have that capability if uh, if something comes up. So we'll see how this one goes. Um, I apologize. Again, I don't want to give you guys crap. I want you guys, if you're going to sit there and take an hour, hour and a half, or you know, 30 minutes out of your, to edit your day or even your drive to work to listen to the, the stuff that I have to say, then I want it to be quality for you. But I also don't have millions and millions of dollars to spend, so I'm trying to get the best quality mic for the cheapest price. And sometimes you have to experiment a little bit, and sometimes you have to send some things back. So let me know what you think about the audio quality. I usually just use uh, headphones with some earbuds, you know, or earbuds rather, uh, with with a microphone in them. So, uh, and that usually does pretty well, especially for the phone interviews. Um, the quality, audio quality, has been pretty good. But uh, I want to try this out. And so, if you like the quality, if you don't like the quality of the audio, please let me know because I want to know what you guys have to say. Lastly, before we get started on the topic, man, what a tremendous, tremendous opportunity coming up for me in uh, March of this year, Fireground Commander Conference. Uh, it's really like starting to take shape. Over a hundred people have already signed up. The early bird registrations are pretty much over. It's you, you know if you want to come to the conference now, it's going to be full price. If you don't know, go back and listen to the other episode uh, with Ben Martin. I can't remember which number it is. I think it's like fifteen or fourteen. And listen to the preview of all you're going to get for even full price, one hundred and fifty bucks for three days. And we've got Nick Martin coming, Jeff Shoup, John Dixon, Mike Gagliano, Christopher Nam, 
You know, it's going to be a tremendous, tremendous conference. Also, we're going to be going to Strange Ways Breweries again. There's going to be giveaways. I already told you about the Northern Star Fire Compasses. We're going to be giving one of those away. No cost. Giving one of those away. There's going to be other giveaways. It's just going to be a tremendous opportunity for everyone involved. Even full price, it's one of the cheapest fire conferences in the whole country for what you're getting for it. So don't delay. Go to EmbraceTheResistance.com and sign up for the Fireground Commander Conference. All right, enough of that. Let's get on with the topic today, winter firefighting. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, like I said, today's topic is going to be on winter fire operations. And it's something that kind of inspired me because uh, if, unless you've been hiding under a rock, it's snowing here in Virginia again. And I know everybody thinks, you know, yes, Virginia is in the south, but we do get snow. And sometimes we get pretty significant snow. The last snow we got right here in the Richmond area, which is where I am, it was about around 10 to 12 inches. This one's not going to be so much, but uh, we do have to adjust for snow. Now, we're not Wisconsin or uh, Michigan or Buffalo or upstate New York or anything like that, but we do have to adjust what we do in order to be more effective on the fire ground. So I like to break this down into two uh, pieces. One, what you should do as a firefighter, when faced with winter weather, and what you should do for your apparatus, specifically the engine company, because the engine company gets really, really affected by uh, winter weather and cold weather because, I mean, obviously we use water to put fires out. So when we're using water that freezes, we have to do some different things. So like I said, I want to break it down into the firefighter and what you can do for the apparatus, specifically the engine company. And what I like to do with the firefighter is it's more like what you can do uh, to carry with you on the apparatus and some of the things that you can do to make you just a better firefighter in these things. Because, man, these these extreme weather conditions can be harsh. Uh, you know, I, I don't have to tell anybody that when you're fighting fire and snow, it can be pretty daggone bad. And uh, one of the things... Uh, when I went to FDIC this past year, one of the uh, one of the common engine company mistakes class I took, one of those things was this guy got burned because he walked through a snow drift and he ended up getting snow stuck in his boots. Like it kind of came up underneath his pants snow uh, and got snow uh, stuck in his boots. And when he went into the fire, it got so hot it burned him. And he didn't understand like why is my leg burning? Why is my leg burning? So it can affect a lot of different things. So let's get to it with uh, some stuff for the firefighter. The first thing that I do is I carry extra of just about everything. <clears throat> Anybody who's ever fought a fire or ever just operated in winter weather, when you are out there, uh, things get wet, they get cold, they get heavy, and that can just make your life miserable. If you're wearing cold fire gloves or even just cold work gloves in the middle of the snow and wet work gloves, Man, those things can just be miserable. So you need to carry some extra stuff. And what do I mean by that? I carry an extra hood, extra pair of fire gloves, extra pair of socks, extra t-shirt. I carry just about extra everything. Um, extra beanie. Like I, I'm a big believer in wearing the beanie over the ball cap. I pretty much wear a ball cap every day of my life, and uh, except when it's cold outside. I throw the beanie on, and I carry two of them because... <clears throat> If that thing gets, if, especially if it's actively snowing or sleeting, uh, and that thing gets soaked, you don't want to put that thing back on your head and cover, having it cover your ears. I, I, I think cold, a cold head and cold feet are absolutely miserable, even in the summertime. 
Like, uh, you know, if, you're, if your head's soaking wet and your feet are soaking wet, it can be pretty miserable. So I usually carry an extra pair of socks with me at all times, but especially in the winter. There's nothing like being able to get into a dry pair of socks, dry t-shirt, dry pair of fire gloves, especially because, it, I don't, and again, don't know about your department, but when it's cold outside, man, it just seems, or especially when it snows, we're getting more fires and we're getting more calls. Like, people, it seems like they, uh, they wait right before the snowstorm to either go to the hospital or they don't want to go to the hospital and our EMS call load skyrockets like right after the snow stops actively falling. So there's six inches of snow on the ground and we're running up and down the road and, and dragging people through the snow. Uh, it just seems like it, it, that's what people do. Like if it's actively snowing, they'll hold on, they'll hold on, they'll hold on. And then right as soon as the snow actively stops falling and the plows start to hit the road, they're calling, calling, calling. So we are out in the elements. And so your feet get cold, that your socks get wet, your head gets wet, your t-shirt gets wet, and that can be absolutely miserable when you're operating in these things. So make sure you've got an extra bag on the apparatus. I carry what I call my SWAT bag, my special wrenches and tools. And what I have in that is stuff that I need, but I don't need on a daily basis um, and so I don't want to wear it in my pockets. It's something that I have time to go back to the apparatus for, for in, if I need something. So I, I carry that with me. And in that bag, I carry, that's where I carry my extra gloves, my extra hood, <clears throat> my extra work gloves, uh, some safety glasses, extrication gloves. You know, I ride an engine company, so I don't need extrication gloves every day. But going down the road, I may need them. So I, I keep them in that bag. I've got a couple extra wrenches, um, some specific, you know, like electrical tester, you know, things like that, that I don't necessarily need to carry in my pockets, but I need them. So I keep them in that bag. And that's where I keep all my extra clothes. And I even keep a towel. That is one of the things too. Even in the summertime, man, dry feet feel good. And so you need that towel on the apparatus with you. Uh, I carry a towel in there. I carry a lot of different stuff. Maybe I'll do a whole episode on what I carry in my SWAT bag. But, uh, you know, again, extra, extra, extra. Make sure you have extra stuff, extra clothes uh, in your uh, in your apparatus when you're dealing with these uh, cold weather, winter weather operations. They will make your tour of duty a whole lot more comfortable and you'll be more effective. The second thing, de-icer. I usually carry some de-icer on the apparatus with me, especially because if your if you're, uh, you know, stuff is anything like ours, it can ice up, uh, especially like the windshield on the apparatus. I have had to stop and pull over and put de-icer on it <clears throat> so that we could see because the defroster wasn't working, anything like that. I want to make sure, and that's something more for the apparatus, but that's extra, right? Like, so I carry it with me uh, just in case because the fire department that I work for doesn't buy that stuff. Like, we have to do that stuff extra. So I carry that stuff with me uh, when I'm in the when I'm around, you know, or I'm on the apparatus during those winter weather operations. So carry some good de-icer. A shovel. Make sure you have got a good shovel with you. And make sure it's in a place that you can get it. A lot of times, and especially in my fire department, we keep these shovels in the crow's nest on top of the apparatus. Which, for everyday operations, that works great. There's no problem with that. However, when you deal with winter operations, if especially if it's actively sleeting or snowing, you don't want to climb on the apparatus in the middle of all that and have to go up there. So... Keep it in a compartment down low that you can get to it. 
One of the things we typically do, like I'll see guys, they try to drag the stretchers up these snow banks and everything. No, they shovel them out. Uh, you know, or they'll try to walk over these snow-covered steps. No, leave a guy outside, typically the driver, have him shovel the walkway while we're inside treating the patient, and then we can move the stretcher up and out. We had a gentleman in the very last snowstorm that he fell in the snow because he was trying to out, because he was trying to shovel his walkway and shovel his steps. We got there, we picked him up out the snow. He didn't want to go to the hospital, so it, and we knew he was a, a kind of a hard-headed, stubborn guy that he was going to come right back out and shovel the walkway when we left. So I shoveled the walkway for him. That way, we avoided two things. One, we did some good, well, we did two things. We uh, had good customer service, and we avoided him getting back outside and falling again. So that saved us a call later down the road because we knew he was going to come back outside and shovel that walkway again. So have a good shovel. A lot of times we just use shovels for like brush fires or we use shovels for overhaul. Make sure you've got a good snow shovel on the apparatus with you during these things. It's not something you need to carry with you every day. It's not something you need to carry with you all the time, but have a good snow shovel. Or if you're going to use the shovel that are just on your apparatus, have it down where you can get a hold of it so you're not having to scale the side of the fire truck in the middle of you know high winds, snow, sleet. It, it, it just reduces the risk of going up there and slipping and falling and just hurting yourself for just getting a shovel down. Put it where you can get to it. Put it where you can get to it. Put it where you can grab it, and that way it's a whole lot safer, and then you can perform some customer service when you get out there, and you can make things safer for you. You can shovel these walkways, shovel, you know, I'm not saying shovel their entire driveway, but make a path so that you can walk clearly, you can get the stretcher up there clearly, so that way we're not having to drag people through the snow. Another tip for that, too, is don't forget to use that reeve sleeve or backboard. If you have a steep driveway, keep that stretcher inside the apparatus, uh, inside the ambulance, and just use the backboards and a simple rope to slide people down. Or use the reeve sleeve to slide people down. It's a whole lot safer. It's easier on your back. You can control it with the rope. It's a whole lot easier. We do this pretty regularly in my fire department because you know we have some areas with some very steep driveways, and I'm sure we're not alone. So don't be dragging that stretcher out there. But if you do, make sure you shovel a path so that you can walk clearly through it. And that's where that shovel comes in. Uh, one of the things, too, we have to change. And I'm not just talking about changing your clothes like I talked about in the, uh, you know, in the beginning of the episode. We have to change everything that we do. We need to drive slower. We need to make sure that we're paying more attention. We need to make sure that we're... Uh, that we're just, you know, be more observant. We got to move a little bit slower. And sometimes that's tough because a lot of times we are going to real emergencies in these calls. We're going to fires or we're going to people that have wrecked their cars on the interstate. But we've got to change what we do. We can't help anybody if we don't get there. And that is one of the things that we can avoid. I'm not saying that every line of duty death is avoidable because I don't believe that they are. But we got to control what we can control. And if I'm going 70 miles an hour in the snow, that's leading to disaster. So we need to slow down. Slow down. Drive deliberately. Turn your lights on. And especially if you're deploying any sort of chains, any sort of on-spot chains or manual chains, they they have a speed limit on them. I know ours, uh, in, and they have uh, in the manual chain, not the manual chains, but the on-spot chains actually have an a inches of snow level that you can deploy them in. You can't deploy them over six inches. They, they're not effective, so then you have to switch to manual chains. 
they both have speed limits. Uh, I believe our manual chains are 35 miles an hour is the speed limit, the max speed. If you don't, if you don't adhere to that, you're going to throw a chain and you're going to tear the side of your apparatus up or they're going to get caught in the axle and then they're going to get wrapped around the axle and then it's going to cause more damage and possibly could put your fire truck out of service. I mean, it's just, it's just not worth it. So we've got to change everything that we do. We've got to be more deliberate as firefighters when you're stretching that line you've got to be you know more cognizant of what you're doing you could be walking through a foot of snow you could be you know it it changes what we do we've got to be more deliberate we've got to pay more attention we actually have to slow down more than we like to do i i I don't you know most of us are go-getters we don't want to slow down we don't want to do those things it uh it's just it's crazy how we, we think we need to go faster but in reality if we actually slow down a little bit and make it more smooth, then it makes things a whole lot better. It makes things a whole lot better. And we can actually go a little bit faster when we slow down and things are smoother. We're not tripping over ourselves. Uh, I just had a uh, the very last snowstorm that we had. I was riding the battalion car, and, we, and I actually ended up first on a small kitchen fire. And, you know, tunnel vision. I don't mind telling on myself a little bit of tunnel vision, trying to get a 360 because the engine companies are saying, Hey, where's the closest hydrant? Our mapping system's down, blah, 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 blah. They're trying to find the water supply. And so I was trying to run around the house. And when I was running around the house, it was on a little bit of a hill and I slipped and fell down the hill in the snow. Uh, you know, and that made me pretty daggone angry to be quite honest with you, but I had to compose myself because, you know, these people's you know, kitchen was on fire. Um, so it actually, it all worked out for the best. It was a small kitchen fire. The engine company got there, stretched a line on it and put it out relatively quick, maybe, you know, maybe two squirts of water. But the fact remains that had I just slowed down for two seconds, just slowed down and changed what I normally do. Cause normally I get a good jog going around on a 360, especially if I'm the engine officer. So, you know, I get around the house pretty quick cause I want to see all four sides and, uh, but you know, if I just slowed down for two seconds because I had recognized I was in adverse weather conditions, I wouldn't have fell in the snow. I wouldn't have embarrassed myself or at least, you know, thought I embarrassed myself because, you know, the people didn't seem to care. They actually were a little more concerned, uh, with, with my well being. But, uh, you know, you got to get out there. You've got to change what you're doing. Um, and I'm also an advocate that, you know, a lot of people don't like to train in this type of weather. And I'm not saying get out there and stretch lines for 10 hours, but put your gear on, get out in the elements and see what you can do. Uh, you know, see how much it hinders you. Put a ladder on your shoulder and a high shoulder carry and walk around your firehouse. See how the snow is affecting your operations. Put up, you know, put the shoulder load, uh, hold a, a hose pack on your shoulder and stretch a line in the snow. See how it affects how you're doing that. You don't need to go out there for five hours. Throw your gear on real quick. Throw a hoodie on and get out there and stretch that line real quick and be like, yeah, okay, this is how deep the snow is. This is what I need to do to change stuff. Because you won't know until you get out there. And people think that that's crazy. And I'm not telling you to do anything crazy. Uh, I know guys that, you know, I worked with some guys that were pretty extreme and they would go out there. When it snowed, they seemed like to catch another gear. Uh, I I've got a video that of these two guys in my that I worked with at Fire Station 13, they were running in the snow. They put on their gear and they put on their SCBA and it was eight laps around the firehouse as a mile. And they're like, we're going to run a mile in the snow today. I was like, holy smokes, you guys are insane. But they did it and they wanted to do it because they wanted to see how well they could operate in the snow. 
I'm not telling you to go that crazy, but what I am saying is that you got to get out there a little bit. You have to figure out, especially for new firefighters that have never had to do this stuff. If you've never had to stretch a line in the snow or throw a ladder in the snow or operate in the snow, you need to get out there to figure it out because it is going to change how you do things. So we have to change. We have to be more cognizant of that weather. And it's more of a mindset change than anything else, but we have to change. And so that's the tips I have for the firefighter. Uh, and so just make sure you carry some extra stuff on your apparatus. Make sure that you've got some de-icer with you. Make sure, you know, to, to get that stuff, uh, you know, make sure the windshield's good to go. Do that little extra. Put it on beforehand if you can. And make sure that you change your operations. Make sure you change your mindset. This is not a summer day. It's not a fall day. It's not a spring day. There's snow on the ground. Uh, and especially overnight too, it, you can have ice that that has that happens overnight. You can slip, you can fall. Just slow down, change your mindset. We have to be more deliberate with our movements because the environment is not as forgiving as it normally is. Um, get out there and do some training in it. I'm not saying get, be crazy and go out there for four or five hours, um, you know. But you have to know what you can do in these elements. You have to know what you can do in order to make your job more effective. You just have to. So now let's move on to the engine company. And some of these things may be controversial. Again, we're not Green Bay, Wisconsin. We're not Buffalo, New York. We don't get, you know, the amount of snow that those guys get, but we do have to adjust what we do. And any like anything else, pre-preparation is key in any of this. You've got to prepare for the winter operations. You've got to prepare for the snow. You've got to prepare... Anything you can do on the front end, especially with your apparatus, is going to pay dividends down the road. One of the things that we do for the apparatus is that we spray all the discharges with antifreeze. We have a bottle, a spray bottle of antifreeze, and we spray the discharges, we spray the nozzles, we spray all the stuff that, that, that you know, and, and when I say spray them, I mean like the connection portions or like the pieces, you know, like we may spray, uh, like we'll take the blind cap off and spray the threads and then put the blind cap back on. Uh, we'll take the Stortz connection and spray antifreeze on it. Well, we have found, and I never heard of this before I went to work for the department I went to work for. Like when I was volunteering, we didn't do that. When I worked in Stafford County, we didn't do that. But when I went to uh, the department I currently work for, that was like an expectation type thing. Like when the, it, when the weather got below freezing, and this is something we do when the weather gets below freezing, uh, not just when there's snow and ice on the ground. Like if the weather drops below freezing, we're gonna put that, we're gonna spray that antifreeze on there, and we keep that bottle of antifreeze in the engineer's compartment. And what that does for us is one, it prevents things from freezing. But if they do, I'm telling you, pure antifreeze on a frozen coupling works just about every time. Or on a hydrant, like you've got the hydrant and you've put the you've put that hydrant connection on, and you've been flowing water, flowing water, and for some reason it freezes up a little bit. You had some water that you know you stopped flowing as much water, and the water's not moving as much, and it freezes up. Some antifreeze on that, and it works pretty daggone good. Um, and it prevents the old the old way we used to do it was if we had a frozen coupling, we would go over to the apparatus to the tailpipe, you know, and uh, and hold it there. And so just exposing ourselves to all this nasty crap from these diesel motors and hold it there and basically until the ice melted and take it apart. This is a much better way. I mean, you can still do that. I still see people that do that. But uh, I think the antifreeze is a much better way to do it. And, uh, and we pre-treat 
our apparatus for that, and then we carry that antifreeze bottle. So, it, you know, if you're looking to do that, um, some people's like, well, doesn't it damage the stuff? I've never seen it damage anything. I've never seen it corrode anything. And one of the things we do afterward when we recover from these operations, uh, like two or three days once the snow's all melted, once this, the road salts have kind of gotten off the road, we take all that stuff and we give it a daggone good cleaning. Like we go thoroughly clean, make sure all the nozzles operate, and we lubricate them according to manufacturer specs. We make sure we flow water, all of that good stuff. So the second thing that we do with that, that preparation phase, is we, uh, we cover all of our nozzles and all of our discharges with a plastic trash bag. And some people think that that may be kind of crazy, but we do that stuff. We cover that stuff. And that, what that does, it doesn't necessarily keep them from freezing. What it does do, though, it keeps all of the road salts, all of the, you know, just all the grit and grime and all that crap off of the nozzles. And, you know, that and that keeps these nozzles operating better. Uh, you know, we had a story when I was volunteering. It, it uh that my brother was pumping a fire when we were both volunteering and a, a, a second, second alarm fire and they had a nozzle, a bale break in their hands when they were up on the second floor trying to flow water on this fire. So that is a big deal. You don't want to have that nozzle failure happen to you. So what we have to do is make sure that grit and grime and everything stays out of those. And that's where that trash bag comes into play. It keeps the road salts, the sand. I don't know about where you're from, but here they put road salt and they put sand on, on stuff. It's, it, it just messes nozzles up. It messes up intakes. It messes up discharges. So we try to cover as much of it, especially anything with moving parts. Like we use the regular piston intake valve, and that has a lot of moving parts. And so if we can keep the grit and the grime out of it, then we can really keep those things operational and we can keep those things functioning when we really need them. So preparation, preparation, preparation. Cover those nozzles, spray that antifreeze, keep that antifreeze on the apparatus with you. Additionally, we put ice melt on the apparatus with us. We put it in the engineer's compartment. Uh, I've seen many a person, many a DPO, in fact, another story about my brother, it always seemed like when we caught fires when we were volunteering, my brother was driving. Um, I don't know what, what the deal was with that, but in freezing temperatures one night, we caught a boat had caught fire. I guess the guy was trying to winterize his boat, and it actually caught fire, and so we laid out from it, and it was exposed to a garage. And so we were trying to put this fire out, trying to put this fire out, and it's freezing temperatures, and we go back to, uh, to change out bottles, and my brother is pumping the, the engine and he's kind of slipping and sliding around the apparatus because the water is freezing around him. He's trying to throw kitty litter down just to give himself some traction. So what we do now in the department that I work for is we put, uh, we put um, ice melt down over, you know, so that way we put ice melt on the apparatus and we put it around the rig so that way we can you know, keep the water from freezing. We can have better traction around. It's a safer thing for the DPO because our DPOs work. We, I've told you this before, three-person engine companies. Our DPOs 
work. They get out there, and they're throwing ladders. They usually wear their gear, and they work. So they need to be able to move back and forth between the apparatus. They need to be able to pull extra lines. They need to be able to get the water supply going. They need to be able to throw ladders. So, you know, our DPOs work. Our engineers work. And so we need to make sure that the, the area around the apparatus is safe. So having that ice melt around keeps that ice from forming, and it just makes it a whole lot better. So one of the other things, and this is a huge debate, a huge debate. It's even a debate in our department. We have people for and we have people against. And I don't know about uh, you guys. I don't know about you guys where you're from. And this is something that, and if you if you want to debate about it, sure, uh, we can talk about it. And uh, that's what this is all about. And the big thing is, I'm not telling you, trying to change your mind with any of this stuff. I'm just telling you what I do to make you think. I'm telling you what I've learned to make you think. So let's talk about dry pumps. Dry pumps is one of the things that we don't do. We don't take the water out of our pump. Uh, some places do. Some places will drain all the water out of the pump and you know, and they, they'll think it's good to go, everything like that. One of the things that I've noticed is that there's never a way to truly tell if all the water's out of the pump. Sure, you can drain it till no water, but there's no way to guarantee that there's not a little bit of water sitting in there. And a little bit of water that freezes is just as bad as a lot it can cause as just as much damage. So we don't drain the pumps. What we do, however, is when the temperature drops below freezing, EMS call, fire call, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if we're sitting at the grocery store. If it, when weather's like this and we're sitting at the grocery store, we leave a person with the rig. We will engage the pump and circulate water. What we have found is that the ancillary heat from the pump and the circulating water keeps it from freezing. As long as the water's moving, it typically keeps going. Now, I've heard that this is not true in such places like Green Bay, Wisconsin. Like, it doesn't matter. You can run that water all day long. It's going gonna, it's gonna to freeze. So I, I can't speak to that. What I can speak for is the fire department that I work for. And again, we're not Green Bay, Wisconsin. But So we don't drain the pump. There's a lot of people that are big advocates for draining the pump. Uh, I've seen pumps freeze up with a little bit of water left in them and a lot of water left in them. The best way that I've seen is to keep that water moving. Let the water, let the pump actually get a little hot, not to the point where it damages it, but let that pump get a little hot. Let that water get a little warm and circulate through there. Keep those pieces and parts moving and you shouldn't have too much of an issue. Again, we do this on every call when it gets cold like this. We pull out of the, if we're going on an EMS call, apparatus you know like the the driver will get there will park he'll put the vehicle in pump and he'll make sure that the water is circulating circulate 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 and that way it doesn't freeze um again that's very controversial a lot of people would you say that's blasphemous that you got to drain the water out of the pump um i'm willing to listen to that argument it just i've never seen a way that you can guarantee 100 percent that all the water's out of it and i've seen apparatus where they drained the pump they drained the pump, and then they still froze their pump up with the little bit of water that was left in it. If you've got a better way, hit me up at AverageJakeFF on Twitter, uh, Instagram, same thing. You know, let me know. I, I'm willing to, you know, of course, I've put my phone number out here before, 804-641-8310. Call me. I'm willing to have this conversation because so far, the best way that I have found in the little bit of snow that we do get here is to keep that pump moving. But it's very controversial. Uh, lastly... Recovery, And this kind of goes back to that preparation phase I talked about a little bit before. Once all this stuff has happened, you got to recover, man. You have got to take those nozzles off, 
clean them good, lubricate them according to the uh, manufacturer spec. Uh, we use TFTs, so we have to make sure that we're not, you know, a lot of nozzles are the same way. You don't want to use penetrating oil like WD-40 because it expands the gaskets, all that stuff. But you have got to make sure that you're lubricating those things so that the nozzles are functioning properly. And then you've got to make sure this is the big thing. This is the thing that people never do, and it frustrates me. You have got to make sure they're working again. A lot of people take them off the apparatus. They'll take them off the apparatus. They'll clean them really good. They'll even lubricate them. But then they stick them right back on the fire truck, and they don't make sure they can still flow water. They don't make sure that they are working properly. And this is something that frustrates me, and anybody that's ever worked for me will tell you that we don't flow water enough through our nozzles. I know when I was an engine company lieutenant, uh, I instituted that when we did we did weekly apparatus checks, that when we do weekly apparatus checks, we flow water through each nozzle on the fire truck too. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. Hydrant pressure is fine. We had a little 50-foot section of hose. We would go out there. We'd hook it up, and we would flow water through each nozzle on the fire truck to make sure that they're working. We check our SCBA every day. We check the apparatus every day. Why are we not checking the nozzles more regularly? So especially after they've been subjected to winter weather to harsh weather conditions. Why are we not doing that? I don't, you know, it very like people look at me like I'm crazy when I talk about that stuff, but make sure everything still works. Pull the ladders off. The ladders, you know, we don't do anything for those ladders. You need to make sure you pull those ladders off, give them a good cleaning, give them a good lube, and make sure that the halyard still works. Make sure that nothing froze up. Make sure nothing broke. Make sure you didn't crack your pulley at the top. Make sure the dogs still lock. Make sure they're not froze up. Those are things that are important, and all we do, a lot of times people just, oh, winter snow, clean the, clean the stuff off, throw it back on the rig, and we don't go the extra few seconds to make sure it still functions. So that is the last tip that I can give you, is make sure you test this stuff back out. Once the winter weather goes away, pull those nozzles off, clean them good, pull that ladder off, clean it good, and then make sure it functions. Make sure your pump is still good. Make sure you get underneath there, the apparatus, and make sure nothing's broke, nothing's punctured. Make sure your on-spot chains are still functioning. Make sure you didn't drop a length off. Make sure your snow chains, if you're using manual chains, make sure they're good to go. I'm telling you, preparation post and pre-storm makes you look like a rock star. It makes you. It keeps you from looking like a fool in front of everybody in your fire department. So that's all that I had for that firefighter stuff and engine company stuff. Ladder companies, um, you know, a lot of times, kind of the same thing. Uh, I know a lot of ladder companies, their ladders ride in the apparatus, so they don't really need to. You know, they they're usually good to go. But man, make sure you check that aerial op- that aerial apparatus back out. Make sure you check that aerial ladder. Make sure you check your waterway. Make sure there's no water in the waterway. Make sure you check those nozzles that are on your bucket. Make sure they flow water still. I would cover them up because they're going to get exposed. Especially, I know we have mechanical ones that like are that are operated through an electrical system uh, that move that make them sweep back and forth. You got to make sure that stuff's still functioning. Rescue companies kind of the same way. Make sure your tools are still functioning, especially if you have anything that's getting exposed to the elements. You got to make sure those things are still functioning because if you don't, you're going to be a week, two weeks, three weeks down the road when you go to pull it off and it doesn't work, then you're going to look like a fool. And nobody wants to look like a fool, especially when somebody's life is on the line. So that's all I got for uh, for the winter weather stuff. Stay tuned just for a second so I can talk about some good companies that uh, help me out and where I'm going to be coming up in 2019.
thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the podcast. Um, you know, I think winter weather operations, and again, I'm not an expert in that, but like I try to do with any of this stuff is not really change your mind, just make you think a little bit. Try to give you some things that I do to make you think because I hope we're all taking the approach that we're still students in this game and that we're still learning. Um, I'm not saying that I won't change something that I do in the near future that pertains to anything that I talk about if I find a better way to do it. Um, These are just things that I've learned through training, education, and experience, which I've talked about before that I think are the most important parts of being a well-rounded firefighter. you got to have training, you got to have experience, and you have to have education. So the things that I do are based on all of those things, and I change them if I find better ways to do them. Uh, I used to have a pretty starch stance on vacant structures and that we shouldn't go in there and all that kind of things. But then I started doing more research, and then I gained more experience with them. And then, you know, and now I'm a believer that, man, we should search every occupancy that we come across. Even if it's after the fire's out, like maybe we can't search these places right away because uh, I know one of the vacant fires I've talked about all the time is that, well, all the floor was ripped up. The entire floorboards were ripped up on every floor, and all there was was stud joists. So, and we had a lot of fire throughout there, so we put the fire out from the places that we could, and then once the fire was under control, we went and searched because, you know, we, we did it, of course, safely as possible, and we searched the areas we could, but that has changed my stance on vacant fires. Like, I was an adamant uh, and you know, adamant, uh, you know, proponent of don't go in these things, blah blah blah. And now I've changed because I've done a little more research. And so people can change just because their opinions are one way at a certain point in time. You know, and you're listening to this podcast in 2019. If I'm still doing this in 2021, I may come back with a completely different winter weather operations podcast that is like, hey, run with a dry pump instead of run with a uh, a wet pump. But as of right now, that's where I'm at. And I want you guys to think when you listen to this podcast. I want you guys to, you know, to challenge what you know and to challenge what I know and to challenge what your department does. Go out there and if it's something, and try something. If it doesn't work for you, that's great. But if it does work for you, then awesome, take it. You know, there's nothing proprietary that I'm talking about. I'm a product of everyone that's ever invested in me, from my department, from outside my department, everyone that's ever written a book I've read. That's an investment. And I'm a product of all of those things. So speaking of investments, I couldn't do what I do without the support of some great, great companies. The first being Vanguard Safety Wear. Vanguard Safety Wear is the makers of the MK1 Fire Glove. They're made for work. They're some of the best fire gloves I've ever worn in my life. Go to VanguardSafetyWear.com to get you a pair today. Vanguard Safety Wear, made for work. Secondly, Taylor's Tins. Taylor's Tins makes metal helmet fronts, and those things are awesome. I wear one on my helmet every day, and they're great. Not only do they look great, they function great. Uh, told, I've been telling the story on the podcast. I went to three fires uh, in five shifts a couple weeks ago, and that under some pretty heavy fire conditions, and that shield held up way better than the leather shields that were all around me. Things were falling apart. You know, They were starting to soak with water and all that kind of stuff. Not this Taylor's 10. It's awesome. Go to taylorstins.com or find Taylor's Tins on Facebook and get you a Taylor's Tins today. Stop burning up leather and get you a Taylor's 10. Lastly, uh, Northern Star Fire. What a great episode we had a couple uh, episodes ago. And thank them for giving me one of those fire compasses to try out. So get in touch with Jeff Dykes. Go, they're on Twitter. They're on Facebook. NorthernStarFire.com. 
you know, check this thing out. I think it's going to be something that can enhance your operations on the fire ground. It's not a replacement for good basic search techniques. What it is is an enhancement for fire ground disorientation. It can enhance your orientation on the fire ground so that you don't get disoriented when sometimes those standard search techniques can fail. So it's not a replacement. It's an enhancement. Go to northernstarfire.com and get in touch with Jeff Dykes. The Fire Ground Commander Conference, talked about at the beginning of the episode, it's coming March 2019, Henrico uh, Theater in Henrico County, Virginia. Get into this thing. The early birds are pretty much done. We've got over 100 signed up. I think we're like 115, 130 uh, with all the people that are coming so far, Um, you know, we don't even know what the cap is. We know what the Henrico Theater will hold, but we'll start uh, moving staff out to a different area of the Henrico Theater if, uh, in order to have seats for people that want to come and listen to these great speakers that are coming. So go to EmbraceTheResistance.com and sign up for the Fireground Commander Conference 2019. It's going to be one of the best ones we've done. Uh, lastly, I've been putting in to teach for more regular classes here lately. Um, I've got a group of guys together, and we put in for a hands-on training class for this year's Firehouse Expo in October 2019. I also put in for a lecture class. I put in for a lecture class for the Virginia State Firefighters. And I'm looking to get out there and do so, get back to doing a little more teaching. I've got a little more time on my hands uh, coming up because I'm starting to transition out of my role as a head wrestling coach. Still going to coach wrestling, still believe in that sport, still love that sport. Uh, but I'm starting to take a lesser role um, in the next year or two as my kids get a little bit older and transition out. Uh, still going to coach, but have a little bit more time on my hands to do some of those things. So starting to put in for some more conferences. If you want any of the conferences or any of the classes that I teach in your fire department, hit me up, 804-641-8310. Hit me up on uh, Twitter at AverageJakeFF, LinkedIn at Robert Owens, Instagram, you can message me there at Average Jake. So any of those things, you can message me on my website, uh, the Average Jake Firefighter blog at AverageJakeFirefighter.com. All of those things. I teach firefighter cardiac arrest. I teach engine company classes. I teach all these things. If you're interested in anything that I would have to say, you want to bring out me or the people that are on my team, which are some great firefighters, some from the city of Richmond, a lot from Henrico, uh, we can get out there and we can help your department out. So get in touch with me. Um, and I can either, and if I can't give you something that you're looking for, man, I can put something, I can put you in the hands of some great, great people that are going to, that are going to help your department get to the level that it needs to be. I can also do stuff through Skype, go to meeting, all of those things. So if you're interested in some of those things, then hit me up. I'm not really trying to make a profit off of this stuff. I'm just trying to do what I do on the podcast, spread the word, make you think, maybe give you some ideas that it can enhance what you do in your fire department. So that's it for this episode. Like I say every time, spend one hour on the uh, one hour a day doing some sort of physical fitness. One hour a day in the library, reading something about our job, watching YouTube, learn something, enhance your fire service education. And one hour a day, hands on training, putting your hands on the tools and equipment that we need to do our job every day. You do that, and you'll become a pretty phenomenal firefighter. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, give it a five-star rating on iTunes, spread the word, tweet about it, tell your friends. Stay safe, but stay aggressive.